In case you didn't get a Valentine's card on Friday, I have a few for you right now. Here's one. It says, there's nobody else I'd rather lie in bed and look at my phone next to. Very romantic. I like this one. All you need is love. False. The four basic human necessities are air, water, food, and shelter. Nobody like Dwight Schrute to throw some cold water on your love right there. And this is the one that Chris gave me on Friday. Here it is. No, she really didn't. I should have. But you could have. Yeah, yeah, it would have applied. There's no doubt about it. If you didn't get anything for Valentine's Day, it's okay because today you got an amazing divine gift that you've just begun to unwrap, and it's the gift of this one day. We're on a church-wide adventure right now that's all about learning how to have a one-day mindset, to really see the treasure in each new day that God gives us. And it's based on our new book, The Gift of One Day, which is about our grandson, Jude Samuel, who lived on this earth for one day, but the way he unwrapped this divine gift really changed our perspective on the power of one day. It's also based on Jude chapter one, verse two in the Bible that says, open your heart, love is on the way. Open your heart, love is on the way. Our goal throughout this month in this church-wide challenge is to open our hearts to receive all that God has for us in this one day. To receive all the blessings, all of God's goodness, all of God's love, all the miracles God wants to give us in this one day. The problem is when you get hurt and you go through pain and loss, you tend to start closing off your heart. It's just human nature to want to close off our hearts to try to prevent hurt. But what we do when we begin to close off our hearts is we prevent ourselves from receiving all of God's goodness and his blessings and his miracles and his love in our lives. And so in this series, we're learning how to keep our hearts wide open, even in the middle of hurt, even in the middle of pain, to keep our hearts wide open to receive all that God has for us. But today, we're looking at unlocking the real secret to God's blessings in your life. And that is to open your heart to receive all that God has for you, but leave your heart open so that you can give all that God has for you to give so that you can be a blessing to others. So I want you to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. And would you stand in honor of God's word as we're gonna do a little study of these six verses today. And it's all about real love. It's all about living with a heart wide open so you can receive and give love. Continue to love each other with true brotherly love. Don't forget to be kind to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. Don't forget about those in jail. Suffer with them as though you were there yourself. Look on victims of abuse as if what happened to them had happened to you. Honor marriage and guard the sacredness of sexual intimacy between wife and husband. God draws a firm line against casual and illicit sex. Don't be obsessed with getting more material things. Be relaxed with what you have. Since God has assured us, I'll never let you down, never walk off and leave you, we can boldly quote, God is there ready to help. I'm fearless no matter what. Who or what can get to me? Dear God, I pray today that you would just help us to live with wide open hearts to receive all that you have for us, but Lord, also to give, to be a blessing to others. But I know, Lord, so many within the sound of my voice are hurting. They're going through pain right now, but you know what they're going through. And Lord, you never promised us that we would have a storm-free life. You just promised us, no matter how high the floodwaters get, that you would give us the power to rise above it. And so I pray today that you would just open our eyes so we can open our hearts to receive all you have for us, and then that we could give, Lord, the things that you want us to give. Because when we begin to do that, that's when we really unlock your blessings in our lives. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. In this series, we're sharing some of the lessons that we learned from our grandson Jude in his one day on earth. And let me just tell you, we learned so much. 
this time with Jude, and we're still going through it, it's been such an intense time of learning. Pain, yes, but so much joy and so much growth and so much hope. And God taught us more in this crash course with Jude than maybe the rest of our lives put together. So we wanted to share some of that with you. And so to give you a little background on where we're going today, uh, Josh and Kelly, our, our son Josh, his wonderful wife Kelly, had found out at their 20-week ultrasound that their firstborn son Jude did not have kidney function at all. And so they were told that he would not survive outside the womb. So we went to Cincinnati to pursue an experimental treatment. And Jude ended up living for one day. But let me tell you about this little boy because he turned our hearts inside out and exploded a lot of stuff that I thought I knew. Now, for instance, I've been a believer in Christ for many years. So I know that the Bible teaches us to be kind. And usually when we think of kind, we think synonyms might be, uh, you know, be nice, be polite, be helpful. You know what I mean. Uh, if, if you're standing next to a door and there's someone walking towards it and their arms are full of packages and they're over 90 years old, what do you do? Yes, you hold it open for them because we're kind people, right? And we do that kind of thing. Or maybe it means to, uh, you know, when a telemarketer calls you, you don't just hang up on them too quickly. First you say, sorry, have a nice day, and then you slam the phone down. Because <laughs> we're kind. We're kind people. Well, you know, those, those are good things to do, but really loving other people goes way beyond our usual definition of polite and helpful. And in fact, our experience with Jude taught me that if I really love like Jesus, I'll be mistaken for an angel sometimes. That's never happened to me. I don't know about you, but has anyone ever mistaken you for an angel? Has anyone ever thought, wow, what, was, what kind of radical love was that? What was that? That person must have been an angel. But in pursuing that goal of wanting to be mistaken for an angel, I'm telling you, it's the most fun you'll have this side of heaven. And it's really simple. So we're going to talk about that in just two points. And the first thing you need to know is, remember, everyone is hurting. Everybody's hurting. Now, before Jude, I knew this in my head. I knew that we live in a broken world, that we all experience hard things, that things don't always go the way we want. And so I would have said, yeah, everybody's hurting. But now, after our experience with Jude, I have a visceral awareness that every single person that I run into every single day has a hidden hurt. There's something that they're hurting about. And in Hebrews, in the passage that Carrie just shared in chapter 13, it says, don't forget to be kind to strangers. Don't forget about those in jail. I'd like for you to underline those two times where Scripture says, don't forget, don't forget. Now, God doesn't have a speech impediment, and so when he repeats something, it means pay attention. We need to know this. This is important. And so this should tell us that, okay, the creator, my creator wrote this. If he tells me not to forget, it's probably because he knows this is something I'm prone to forget to do. So he's saying, pay attention. Don't forget to be kind to strangers. That kind of pre-assumes that we're already kind to the people we know, doesn't it? But it says, don't be kind to strangers. Now, the first thing to do if you're going to be kind to strangers is to forget yourself. You see, most of the time, we are so focused on how we feel and how heavy our burden is and what our needs are and what other people are thinking about us who are in the room that we can never focus on anybody else's hurts. We're too busy looking at ourselves. So the first step to obeying what God tells us to do here, don't forget to be kind to strangers, is forget ourselves. And then secondly, we need to just remember that other people are hurting, that there are others, and God wants us to reach them. Don't forget to be kind to people you don't know. How did God teach me all about this? Well, I became the stranger. 
You see, when um, we went to Cincinnati to pursue this treatment for Jude, suddenly we were in a place where I didn't know anyone. I didn't know anybody. Suddenly I was the stranger. I was the one who had no idea. I, never, I didn't know anybody I was talking to. I was a stranger in every situation. And yet God showed me incredible kindness, even when I was a stranger. Shortly after we arrived in Cincinnati, Kelly had a surgery to insert an amnioport, which was something that she would have to um, put, add fluid to her womb so that Jude could practice breathing since his kidneys weren't working. And the day of the surgery was very stressful. If you've ever been in a hospital, in a room that's a waiting room for surgery, you know how it is. You're watching the clock. You keep checking back with the nurses. They kept coming out and telling us, uh, you know, updates on how she was doing. And it was a fairly risky procedure. And we were stressed. It was hard. It was a hard, long day. And I was concerned for Kelly. I was concerned for our son Josh and the weight that he was carrying uh, for his wife and son. And of course, we were concerned about our grandson Jude. So going into it with all this weight, she finally came out of surgery. It had gone really well. And she got to a recovery room. And Finally, she, there was a time where she would get to eat something. So I did what moms do. We, we give food, right? We offer food. Uh, in moments of, of trial, the first thing you think of is, oh, maybe I could get something to eat. I could feed them. And so I rushed downstairs in the hospital to the cafeteria because I thought, I'll grab something for Kelly to eat. And I, the gates were halfway down. It was about to close. There was nobody, you know, nobody in there, no customers. And so I ducked under and ran in, and I grabbed a pack of cookies and some milk. And I went and put it on the counter and dug for my card. And all I was thinking was, okay, I need to get back up there. What else does Kelly need? What do we do? What's tonight going to look like? And all these things were going through my mind. I paid. I took a couple steps away. And then I heard a voice and I realized that it was the woman who was the cashier right there. And she said, do you need a hug? And I thought, wait, there's nobody else in here but me. <laughs> she must be talking to me. And I turned back, and she said it again. She said, do you need a hug? And I'm not the kind of person that is usually very outwardly emotional. I don't cry really easily. There's nothing wrong with people who do. It's just, I don't know. I just don't. And so I turned around, took a couple steps toward her, and absolutely collapsed in her arms and sobbed like a baby. It was so much emotion, so much relief, so much had built up in me during the day. I didn't even realize it. And I just cried, and she didn't ask my name. She didn't ask what was wrong. She just let me cry. And then I said, you know you're an angel, right? And I grabbed my stuff and I left. And I thought, wow, that was unusual. And then many weeks later, Kelly had another surgery. But this time, it was the day that Jude was born. So it was a glorious day. We got to hear him cry. And I got to be right there when my grandson was born. And we had waited and prayed for this day. But during the day, Things had not gone well, and we'd had reports from the doctors that were the exact opposite of everything that we had been praying for. And Kelly had been rushed off after giving birth to have surgery to remove the amnioport that had been put in earlier. And, and late that night, I was going back to Kelly's ho um, her hospital room, which is in a different part of the hospital. Kelly and Josh were in the NICU, and I had been in there with them, and I went off to meet a doctor in Kelly's room back in the maternity ward, and I thought I knew my way around this hospital. We'd been hanging out there for a long time, for weeks and weeks, and so I thought I knew my way around, and I thought, I'll take a shortcut. I don't have a moment to spare, and I went off in the corridors of this large teaching hospital and immediately got lost and started looking for where to go, and I was rushing down a hall, and there was a woman mopping the floor. And as I went by, I didn't even make eye contact with her. I went by, and then she said, do you need a hug? I thought, what? <laughs> really? And I stopped, 
and turned around and walked back to her and just fell into her arms and cried. And just cried again. Now, when your kids are hurting, and you know this if you're a parent, when your kids are hurting, your kids are having a really hard time, then you don't want to be the one that turns to them and to be a burden on them. And I had just been holding all of this in. And it was such a gift just to be able to cry. She didn't ask my name. She didn't ask what was wrong. She just let me cry. And then I pulled myself together, asked which way to go, and took off for the hospital room. And then a couple days later, we found ourselves in a hotel because after Jude went to be with the Lord, and we were there in the NICU, and he'd just been born the day before, and I didn't know what to do. Here I was with Josh and Kelly, and this is something we didn't plan for. We didn't have any scenario for this. We had planned for here is where the the, the little isolate's going to be where he's going to be placed in, and this is the corridor we'll go down, and this is the ambulance we'll take that's going to be waiting, and this is our next step, next step, next step. But suddenly, everything changed. And our kids think that we, as parents, kind of know what we're doing, but as parents, we know the truth is we're making this up as we go along. I didn't know what to do. Here I was with Josh and Kelly, and Jude had just gone to be with the Lord, and, and we couldn't go back. How do you go back to the maternity ward without a baby, how do you go there? And so we did the only thing that made sense in the moment, and, and we left. We just walked out of the doors of the hospital and left. And I took them to a hotel nearby and was just trying to care for Kelly, um, doing the care that normally would be taken care of by the hospital. And that very next morning, I got up and I knew Kelly needed some things from the pharmacy, and so I rushed out to the parking garage at the hotel, and it was cold and snowing. And so, you know, if you live in Texas, we're not acclimated to that. It was freezing cold. Who has a coat that is warm enough for this kind of weather? I just ran out to the car, and the tire in the rental car was flat. And I just thought, God, you know, what, what do I do now? And so I just started walking toward the pharmacy because that's all I needed to do. And I didn't know it. I was a stranger here. I didn't know anyone. And I just started walking and went to the pharmacy and then walked back, and it was snowing harder. And by the time I got back in the hotel, I was, I was at a really low point. And I stepped into the elevator, and I was holding my bags from the pharmacy and pushed the button, just looking down, and a couple of ladies who were on the, the cleaning crew at the hotel got in at the same time. And I'm just withdrawn and inside myself. And somewhere between the first and third floor, one of them said, do you need a hug? And I didn't even pause this time. I just fell into, fell into their arms and sobbed and cried. And, and God taught me something. Because, you know, were those women who asked me if I needed a hug? You know, it was two different hospitals and then a hotel. And nobody's ever asked me in my life if I needed a hug, including my husband. <laughs> but you're, you're awesome and I love you. <laughs> yes. Do you need a hug? No. You have to wait till it counts. Oh. You know, I, I don't. Were they angels? I don't know. The honest truth is, I don't know. They could have been. I know the Bible teaches that angels are real and that uh, people encounter them in real life at times. They appear as real men and women. But I think there's another possibility that I kind of hope is true because I really believe that we can be the kind of people that they were. I really want to know that there are people in this world who are so tuned in with watching for hurting people that when they come across someone hurting in their path, they just offer whatever they can in the moment to help. 
that they actually step in. You know, in all of these moments, there were commonalities because I felt utterly alone. These were my darkest times. And I had a deep awareness of my insufficiency. I mean, in every one of those instances, I was spent. There was, I had nothing to give. There was no way I could meet the needs of the moment. None of them asked for details. None of them asked my name. All of them offered a hug while I was detached. You know, I was not crying. I feel like if someone was crying really hard or bleeding out, then I would think, aha, maybe they need my help. But short of that, I think I might miss it. And I was, I was just withdrawn in all of those times. But I always felt instantly comforted and this release of emotions when they held me. You see, hurting people are all around us. They are all around us every day. They're all around you. They're all around me. Do you see them? Do you see them? The good thing is that we can pray and we can ask God to open our eyes. So pray and ask God, open my eyes. Open my eyes. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, it says, When he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So underline that word saw. He really saw them. Jesus saw the crowds and he had compassion. Underline that compassion on them. Compassion just means with suffering. The word passion means suffering. And calm means with. It's with suffering. He saw them. He felt what they were feeling. And if you want to be like Jesus, then you need to help hurting people. And if you and I are going to be like Jesus and help hurting people, then we need to first be able to see them. And so we just need to pray, Lord, open my eyes. Open my eyes on this day. God, I accept this gift of this one day from you. Now show me how I can be a gift to someone else today. It's a whole new outlook for me. And what this looks like for me is that there have never been any neon signs, any flashing lights, or a big arrow coming down from heaven that says, this is the one you should help. This one. This one. No, I would love it if that happened. Make it really clear. But instead, it's actually very simple, very practical, very common sense. My brother-in-law, Richard, is a radiologist. And so he reads complex images like MRIs every day. He does a lot of complex procedures and reads all these films. And I've been with him before at his office. And he was scanning through all these films. And I said, how do you do it? I mean, how did you manage to memorize all of these conditions and all the things that could be wrong. Um, it, just, it just seems like so much. And, you know, human bodies are so complex, and you're looking at these tiny little vessels and things. And he said, well, actually, it's very straightforward. The main thing is that you study and learn to recognize what's right. And then when you know what it should look like, it jumps out at you when it isn't. It just jumps out at you. And seeing hurting people is much the same. You know, to, to recognize God's voice when he's talking to us, you know, that little nudge he gives you, that feeling like, um, you know, oh, I should probably help that person. Uh, I don't know, actually. And I can talk myself out of it so fast because I just think, oh, I'll probably say the wrong thing. I'll do the wrong thing. I mean, they'll think I'm weird. Uh, maybe I'm just misreading this in the first place. But as we spend time with God, we learn to recognize his voice and recognize when that nudge comes from him. And then we also just need to practice. Practice paying attention. Just in your daily interactions, we practice. Practice watching for people who might need um, a little extra comfort, a little extra help. And then also create margin. Creating some margin in our days because when we're too rushed, we don't leave space in our days for God to use us. I'm guilty of this a lot. People who know me well can tell you that I will often show up at something like right as I'm supposed to be there. And I'll try to be all engaged while I'm there, but then I'm there till the last minute till I'm rushing off to do something else. And a lot of times I schedule my days so full that I don't really leave any time for God to do something new, to use me. I just plan it all out myself and then go after it. But creating margin in our lives will leave time. You see, we're satisfied with just thinking in general that we're kind people. 
But compassion is specific. Compassion is reaching out specifically to that person who's hurting. And if we needed any more reasons to help hurting people, here it is. In Matthew 25, verse 40, Scripture tells us, The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. This is telling us that it's Jesus in disguise. When we see hurting people, it's Jesus in disguise. And that casts a whole new light on things because that means that whatever we fail to do, whenever we overlook someone who's hurting, whenever we ignore someone who's hurting, whenever we withhold being kind, stepping out for someone who's hurting, we have overlooked or ignored Jesus. And so the whole new way to live is just when you see a need, fill that need. See a need, fill a need. It's as simple as that. So I ask God in the morning, open my eyes to see hurting people. And then I need to let God break my heart. I want to pray, God, break my heart with the things that break your heart. And back to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 3 says, Don't forget about those in jail. Suffer with them as though you were there yourself. Share the sorrows of those being mistreated, for you know what they're going through. We have an amazing prison ministry here at Woodlands Church, headed up by Terry Looney, and God's using it powerfully. And we have an amazing ministry that brings women out of human trafficking and really helps women who are suffering from abuse and brings them into safety, and that's headed up by Shannon Thomas. And these ministries are so important. You ought to get involved in them. They're so biblical. Uh, but it's also a general principle here. Underline the phrase suffer with them and the phrase share their sorrow. Because when someone is hurting, they're not looking for you to say something amazing that heals their hurt. They're just looking for someone else who hurts with them. They're looking for someone else who cares. Someone else who feels some empathy about what they're going through. And by the way, that's the same in husbands and wives. A lot of times we try to solve marriage problems by using head knowledge, and we try to figure out what is the communication problem we're having, and, and what are the answers to dealing with it, or what is the conflict resolution problem we're having, and how do we fix it, when what you really need is just to feel for each other. Not to fix each other, but feel for each other. Have empathy for each other. To ask your spouse, you know, how you're feeling. Well, I feel hurt and then to stop and feel it with them. That's what everyone is really looking for, someone who will feel with them. Not a head connection, but a heart connection to really connect hearts. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And God never calls us to change one life. We can't change a life. There have been thousands of lives changed here at Woodland Church. The greatest miracle of all is the miracle of life change but only the Holy Spirit of God can change one life. He doesn't call us to change lives. He calls us to love people. He calls us to share the love of Christ and show the love of Christ, to care about them, to get involved in their lives and leave the results to him. Look again at Hebrews chapter 13, verse five. It says, don't be obsessed with getting more material things. Be relaxed with what you have. Now, that seems a little odd to me that right in the middle of kindness and love, it says, don't be obsessed with getting more material things. Why is that in there? Because if you love things, you'll use people. You won't care about people. Your heart won't be broken with the things that break God's heart. You won't be broken over their hurt. You'll use them. If you love things, you use people. If you love people, you'll use things to bless people. And that's the way it goes. And that's why the scripture says we're not to love material things. It's okay to have nice things, but don't set your heart on them. You can't have your heart broken for the things that break God's heart if your heart is taken by things. Well, God usually breaks our heart by disturbing our souls. And so I wanna give you some disturbing facts. Sometimes it's a divine disturbance that comes into my life that wakes me up to the hurts of others so that I feel those hurts and my heart is broken with them. If you have food in your refrigerator today, clothes on your back 
and a place to sleep, you're better off than 75% of people in the world today. That's a disturbing fact. If you have any amount of money in the bank or in your wallet, then you're better off than 92% of people in the world today. You're in the top 8%. If you've never experienced the pangs of starvation, then you're ahead of 500 million people today who are literally starving. If you're attending a worship service and don't have any threat of imprisonment, torture, or death, then you're better off than three billion people in the world today who don't have freedom of worship. Those are some disturbing facts in almost all of our mission projects and ministries to the poor and powerless have come out of our souls being so disturbed and our hearts being broken over the pain of others. That's why we do what we do at Woodland Church. It's a soul disturbance that God will bring about in your life and then he breaks your heart so that he can bring healing to your heart through serving others. In response to someone saying, you couldn't give me $1,000 to even touch a leper, Mother Teresa said, no, I wouldn't touch a leper for $1,000, yet I willingly cure him for the love of Christ. You see, the reward is so great because when you open your heart and you love, your heart is open to receive all that God has for you, all the fulfillment and love and the things that money could never buy. And so first, remember everyone is hurting. Uh, on Monday, remember everyone you come across is hurting. Uh, today, when you go out to lunch, everyone that you see is hurting. And then risk loving today. Risk loving today. In 2 Corinthians 6, 2, it says, indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. He's saying that if we're gonna love, we need to do it today. We need to be in a one-day mindset. If you're not in a one-day mindset, you'll be in a someday mindset. Someday when it's not so busy, then I'm really gonna do something great and kind for that person. Uh, someday when things settle down, then I, I'm gonna really let them know how much I love them and how appreciative I am for what they've done. Someday, someday, but one day is all we have. Say it now. Do it now. Give it now. Because now is your time. Today is your one day. And one way to risk loving today is don't wait for the big opportunity. Proverbs 3.27 says, never walk away from someone who deserves help. Your hand is God's hand for that person. Did you catch that? Your hand is God's hand. I read this and I thought, oh, God's hand. Like God could actually use my hands as his hands. I could be the proxy for God's hands to help someone. That my feet could be used to go where God wants to be and to minister to someone. That my shoulder could be the one to cry on. That my words could be the ones to speak. That my ears could be the ones to listen to someone and hear someone who needs to be heard. And so when we have this one day mentality, we realize this is our one chance to reach that person that we come across. Our one and only chance, maybe in our lifetime, that we'll ever cross paths with that person. Those people who gave me a hug in all three instances, I had never seen them before or since. That was the one time our lives intersected on this planet. And yet they showed overwhelming kindness. We tend to wait for the big need, for the big thing to come. And we think of big as the thing that's going to usually take more time and a lot of planning, cost a lot of money, and it'll be really significant, really important. But here is what I've learned. Just do the small thing right in front of you. That's what God asks us to do. Do the small thing that's right in front of you. Because the truth is that something that's very small, seemingly insignificant and spontaneous to me may be huge to someone else. The women who gave me a hug, they were all actually working at the time. They didn't wait for some time to schedule in on their day off to be kind. This was all part of their normal day. And as they worked, they had their eyes open for someone who was hurting. And then they gave something 
and it didn't cost them anything more than a few moments, a few minutes. But can you imagine what it meant to me? I'll tell you right now that I, can't, I don't have words to describe how much it meant to me to be comforted in those moments. That's something that I could have searched high and low for. You can't put a price on that. But yet, that's how God wants to use you and I. I really believe that those who are first in heaven are going to be people, not who we've heard about in the news because they did some great big thing that was newsworthy or Instagrammable. No, it's going to be the people who do the small things with consistency day after day after day. They just keep their eyes open and they just keep loving the one in front of them, no matter where they are. It's not going to be the, the ones that we think of when we think of giant world events. It's not going to be the pastors. It's going to be the people who, without asking for any notoriety, just live this way. While we were in Cincinnati, it came to be Christmas time. And Christmas time at the hospital can be a really lonely feeling because you look out and everybody else is doing all the fun family Christmas things, and it feels really isolating and dark. And it was just a hard place. It was a hard place to be, and we'd been there for a long time. But a few days before Christmas, one of the nurses on that floor that Kelly was staying on, and let me just say right now, thank you, God, for nurses. Honestly, some of the best people I know are nurses because they've chosen a profession that, you know, most people, you go to work, and sure, the people you encounter that you work with, sometimes they're having a good day, sometimes they're having a bad day, but most of the days are average. But nurses in hospitals have chosen to be around people who are at their worst every day, all day. And yet, so many nurses kept showing compassion and kindness above and beyond just medical ability. And this nurse walked in the door of Kelly's room holding a cardboard box. It's just a simple cardboard box. And in it were a lot of Christmas decorations. And she said, you know what? These decorations, they're not much, but they've been up in our break room for a few weeks now. And we talked, and we'd really like to give them to you. We'd love to uh, make your room a little brighter for Christmas. It was amazing. That was such a gift. It was like night and day, because when you're focused on life or death, you don't have time to think about little things like decorations. We had no idea what a difference that would make. It brightened up the whole room, not just seeing something colorful and bright and hanging a string of lights, but knowing that someone cared even about that, even about that detail. You see, all of us want to be the hero. I'll be honest, when I watch an action movie and, you know, it's the big, the big scene where the plane is about to go down and a hero jumps up and knows what to do, I think, I could do that. I could so do that. God, you put me in a position like that, I'm your woman. Uh, use me and I will rescue those people. You know, I can rehearse in my mind, oh, here's what I do in this extreme circumstance. Guess what? None of those things have ever happened that I've rehearsed in my mind. I'm ready for a lot of situations, never gotten an opportunity to use them. All those things I've planned for. But yet, meanwhile, people around me are dying on the inside every single day right before my eyes, and I don't even see them. I wait for the big thing, the thing to be a hero, and God isn't asking for that. He wants us to see the people who are hurting in our everyday lives. That means that it's the woman who's standing behind you in the grocery store line. It is the guy who sits at the desk next to you at work. It's the kid that you see at the lunch table by themselves every single day. It's the kid who's a friend of your child who comes over and you think something is just not quite right. Over and over and over, all through our days, the guy behind the counter at the gas station, we keep walking through our days, and there's dying people all around, and we are missing it. We're missing it. God wants us to be everyday heroes, to make this a way of life. And 
something that Jude taught me is that spiritual maturity is not how much you know. You can know the Bible in Greek and Hebrew, and I am not bashing that because I actually love looking into the origin of words, and, and Carrie knows this, and I, I will really get into that. I like languages. I like different things like that, but, but I learned that spiritual maturity is not how much you know. Spiritual maturity is how much you love. How much will we love? The bottom line is don't overlook the one in front of you. Don't overlook the one in front of you. They're the one that we're to reach. How do you know who to help? Here's the big hint from God. It's the one in front of you. Don't assume that meeting the need that you see right in front of you is someone else's job. Because I think it's safe to assume that if they're in front of us, they're our responsibility. It's our responsibility. We can assume that we're the hands and the feet that God wants to use in that situation, that we're the one that, that he wants to work through, to live through. We're the one. And when we stop and we take the moment and we seize that, it will change everything. Usually I don't do that because I don't really know for sure if it's I'm supposed to do what I'm thinking maybe I should do. And so they might think I'm weird, and so I hold back. But what we're taught to do in the Bible is to go ahead, move into it, step into it. Look at the next verse in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. It says, honor marriage and guard the sacredness of sexual intimacy between wife and husband. So that seems odd to me too. They're right in the middle of this passage on loving others, then it talks about guarding the marriage relationship for those of you who are married. What he's saying is, don't skip over the people closest to you to be an angel to a stranger. Hey, what he's saying is, don't be an angel to a stranger while you're being a devil in your family. You need to love the people, right? If you're married, then the one right in front of you is your spouse, and you can't skip over them to love others. You need to love them and then love others. And it's all about loving the one in front of you first and foremost. And love is really protecting your marriage. That's why it talks about guard your marriage from lust because love is protecting your marriage from lust. And it's not a coincidence that the verse right before that talks about helping people who've been abused, those who've been mistreated because lust is really abuse. Uh, lust in the form of pornography is definitely abuse because the pornography industry is an industry built upon abuse where most of the women in pornography are addicted to drugs. They're in an addiction or they're underage or they're being trafficked. And so whenever you look at pornography, then basically you're part of that abuse. And we have to see it as that. Now, I'm not here to judge I'm not here to hit you over the head with that because over 50% of Christian men struggle with pornography. All the surveys say that's because we're so bombarded with it today. And what I'm saying is first we have to see it for what it is, and then we have to guard ourselves, our minds, and our hearts because it is abuse. And so the only secret is to be in an accountability relationship. And we have amazing men's groups. We have amazing groups, accountability groups. We have our restoration ministry. I have an accountability partner in this. And we talk every week about this subject. And we get real honest because that's the only way you'll ever get victory. And it's so important. God forgives, but he wants you to have victory. And he says, guard that intimacy of the marriage relationship and protect it. But then don't expect anything in return when you risk loving. Don't expect anything in return. It says in Matthew 6, Jesus said, but when you do a kindness to someone, do it secretly. Don't tell your left hand what your right hand is doing, and your Father, who knows all secrets, will reward you. I love that because it's saying, uh, don't post your good deed on Instagram trying to get a lot of likes for people to think you're just an amazing person and write, wow, how amazing. You're so loving and sacrificial, it's unbelievable. Because he says right here, you just got all your rewards. But the, uh, the thing is, God will reward you. 
I love that. That's why this is the secret to unlocking the blessings of God, because God sees everything done in secret. You see, I'm not talking about networking. If you're in business, you ought to network. That's really important, but that's not serving. Serving is when you do something for someone who can't do anything in return. When you do something in secret and no one knows it. When you serve and you give of yourself and you're not expecting anyone to pat you on the back, that's what it's all about. See, we have angels in the parking lot. You know, we have angels that are ushers. We have angels in the preschool ministry. We have angels all around this place because don't overlook the one in front of you. And if you're in this church family, then one of your first responsibilities is to be on a team in your church family, to be, a, be on an angel team in your church family, and, and then to give in your church family because anytime you serve one minute or give one dime, you're doing something that lasts for eternity. You're being Jesus to people. You don't expect anything in return, but the amazing thing is you get everything in return from the Lord God who sees everything done. He doesn't miss a thing. And lastly, you can risk loving today with confidence. You don't have to fear because God is with you. The end of this passage that we study today in Hebrews chapter 13, it says, since God assured us, I'll never let you down, never walk off and leave you, we can boldly quote, God is there ready to help. I'm fearless no matter what. Who or what can get to me? Even when we see hurting people, a lot of times we know what to do, but we just don't do what we know. We don't do what we know because of the fear that our actions, our words might be misinterpreted. But something that helps me is to always think, well, what's the worst thing that could happen? I mean, really, what if you took that risk and you said something to that person, you did something for that person, what's the worst thing that could happen? I think you'll find if you play it out, as I have, that usually the worst thing that can happen is that they will think less of me. And that's all. That's the risk, that's the big risk. I mean, Jesus Christ died an excruciating death, a painful death, a, a humiliating death on a cross, and he chose that. He willingly gave his life for us because he wanted to be with us forever in heaven. He did all that for me, and I'm concerned about what someone I don't know will think of me. That's the thing that stops me. I've learned that if you're trying to decide if you should say something, if you're trying to decide if you should do something, if you should ask that person to coffee, if you should help that person, that we need to err on the side of love err on the side of love instead of erring on the side of fear. Just go for it. You know, love courageously and boldly. And we will make mistakes. No, make, no, there's no doubt about that. We will make mistakes. We're not gonna do it perfectly. If we wait to do things perfectly, they will never get done. We are imperfect people. If I wait to, be, to say just the right words in the exact right way, it's not gonna happen. But if we step boldly into it, I found that God's grace is more than enough to cover over any little imperfections in what we do or say. Let's make our mistakes out of love instead of making mistakes and holding back out of fear. I don't know who's gonna cross your path today. I don't know who's gonna cross my path today. I don't know what we're supposed to do or say, what the best thing to do or say is, but I do know this. You and I can do more than nothing. Our response to hurting people and a hurting world and the hurting individuals that we come across every single day can be more than nothing. You know, the whole Bible is really God asking us, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Let's answer with our lives and not just our words. God gave his son Jesus died on the cross, risking it all for us. We get to choose whether we accept his gift on the cross or not. He risked everything for us. Let's step out and risk to be love to the people around us. And maybe you're the one right now who feels like there's a thousand pound weight sitting on your chest. 
you're the one who feels like you don't know how you're going to keep going to the end of this day, let alone tomorrow or the end of the week. We want you to know that you are known and you are loved. Hang on because God's holding on to you. And we want to pray for you. Let's pray together. Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, wow, just to be in your presence, Father, is enough. Thank you for this gift of this day that we're in right now. Now, please open our eyes so that we can be a gift to others in it. Give us eyes to see those who are hurting deeply right now. And for those who are in that place where they feel crushed, Father, please hold them tight. Let them know deep in their hearts that you love them, that you're taking care of them, that you have good plans for them. And give us eyes to see them, to be your hands and feet, your words, your ears, your shoulders, your arms to hug. We love you. We praise you. And we ask all of this because of who you are and what you've done for us, Jesus Christ. Amen. And now we're at the point in time in our service where we give. We give because we love God. We love what he's doing through the missions and ministries of Woodlands Church. And it's interesting to me that the first thing he says in Hebrews 13 is continue to love in the body of Christ. Continue to love in the family of God. And and really what we're doing is loving Christ as we give back to him some of what he's given us. So as you give, thank him. And then pray God will multiply it so that we can expand our mission projects and ministries to make an impact even greater. And the great thing is when you open your heart and you give, he always gives back to you more than you could ever give. And there are many ways to give. You can give through our PushPay app on your cell phone. You can give online. You can give right here in the offering. But the main thing is be consistent in that giving and put God first and he'll bless the rest. You can't outgive him. Lord, bless our giving. And as we give, we thank you that we can just rest in your love for us that your promises are always true. Bless all those who give, Lord Jesus. And I thank you, Lord, that you're teaching us to be a blessing to others. Help us be a conduit of your blessings today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, church. Thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.